All right. Well, good evening or good afternoon. Good evening, everybody. Glad you're back. And uh, we uh, had a good lunch break here. And uh, if you're joining us by live stream, we're certainly glad to have you. And we've already enjoyed a couple services here together today. And uh, looking forward to uh, this afternoon will be fairly brief. I only have 35 points today. And uh, just kidding, not quite 35, but there are a few. And uh, But we will be brief. I, I just want to share a thought with you from Romans chapter number 12. If you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter number 12. And um, we spent some time in the morning uh, service, the 11 o'clock hour, dealing with um, the results, uh, the things that are achieved or accomplished by being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives and our yieldedness to Him. And uh, I want to begin in Romans chapter 12. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, we pray that you'll bless the service and that you would use it to be a help to us as we grow in our grace and the knowledge, and your grace and the knowledge uh, of your word, that we would become more of what we ought to be for you, that our lives will be impacted and changed, that we will be transformed inwardly uh, as your Holy Spirit guides and directs us. I pray that you would give us clarity, and Lord, may the truth from this passage be very uh, apparent to us, and that we would take heed to it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we've spent a lot of time over the last several years uh, speaking on the idea of being surrendered to the Lord. Uh, I've mentioned numerous times this particular passage about being uh, a living sacrifice. And, of course, Paul brings out the fact that this is just reasonable. Uh, for somebody to sell out, to, to love God with all of his heart, uh, is, is only reasonable. It's, it's what a Christian ought to be. It's the norm. And um, not to be conformed to this world, he talks about in verse number 2, but to be transformed uh, on the inside by the renewing of our minds. Um, and we've talked about the difference between being conformed by pressure and by um, the uh, enticements of the world uh, where it tries to fit us into their mold and the difference between it and being transformed inwardly uh, by the renewing of our minds and by God doing His work in our hearts. But Paul goes on to say in this particular chapter, uh, he deals with some things regarding uh, some gifts that have been given. And I don't believe that this is a, uh, a break-off point and a separation and a beginning of a whole entire new line of thinking, but I believe is in continuation of what we've read about with regards to being um, a living sacrifice and being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Because he goes on to say in verse number 3, For I say, meaning based on what I've just said before this, for I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. Um, and we have a tendency, don't we, to uh, overthink of ourselves. And uh, maybe not in a prideful way as in that we're better than somebody else, but we overthink of ourselves in this case many times, that I have arrived spiritually to where I need to be. And can I tell you that that thought in and of itself is thinking higher of ourselves than we ought to. Because even Paul, as great of a Christian as he was, said that he had not yet attained. And that he was going to continue to press for the mark. 
Because Paul, even though he, and, and we look at his life, and we, we, if we were to hold our lives up next to Paul, we would have to say in, our, in many cases, we would pale in comparison to Paul. And if Paul did not attain the gospel, in fact, he's the only one in Scripture that God allowed under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to pen the words, Be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. No, no other man in Scripture was allowed to say that comment. And if we were to do that, we would say that we, we cannot even come close to what Paul was. And yet Paul said, I've not yet attained. And so he warns these folks. He says, listen, don't think higher of yourself than you ought to. It's by the grace that's been given unto us that we are what we are. And can I tell you that it is only by God's grace that you and I are anything today. And I'm thankful for it. But we need to understand our frailty, our weakness, uh, the fact that without God we would not be uh, of any uh, value whatsoever. But the Bible says, but, I think, uh, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then, notice this, gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the portion of faith, or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, or he that, uh, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, uh, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And so from verses <coughs> 6 through 8, we find that there are distinct things that God enables people, to, that He gifts them, their, their, their natural tendencies. Some people have one or more of these things in their life. And understanding this, that it is God that has given all of those things to us and has fitly framed us together. Now, I've said all that to say this, <clears throat> that we are to be diligent in these things because they are what God has enabled us to do as far as our service for Him. And again, relating back to verses 1 and 2 that talks about us giving ourselves as a living sacrifice. So we, we look at our gifts, we look at the things that God has enabled us and we say, okay, I want to be diligent in those things. And then Paul gives us a list, and this is the list I want us to look at from verses 9 and following, of how we are to relate uh, to one another and to the lost world in the performance of these gifts. And these are what we call, I guess, uh, maybe attributes or characteristics of a living sacrifice. I, I would probably be the best way to word this. If we're going to yield ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit, we're going to have these things that He's enabled us to do that we are diligent with, we're faithful to them, uh, then there are certain uh, attributes that also ought to characterize us as we pursue this line of being a uh, living sacrifice. So let's take a look at these very quickly, and uh, we really will be rather brief this afternoon. I just want to go through uh, a number of these from verse number 9 on. But the Bible says this, let love be without dissimulation. Um, and again, I'm not going to take a lot of time on each of these, but I do want to comment on these. But the idea of a hip hypocritic uh, uh, type of a love, a hypocritical love, um, where perhaps a person, uh, well, let me put it this way. <laughs> we joke about this, that you can say anything you want to about somebody as long as you follow it with bless their heart, right? And, and if you really are going to say something bad about them, uh, you say, I love you, but, or I love them, but, and then you tell something bad about them, then you say, bless their heart. And usually if you bookend it with those things, it's easier to swallow the negative, isn't it? So like uh, I could say about uh, 
um, maybe my son Jonathan, I could say, um, well, I love Jonathan, but boy, he, uh, he sure sleeps a lot. Bless his heart, you know. And I've said something negative, but I've made it pretentious to sound like I'm, I'm saying something good about him. And can I tell you this, that there are times that we make claims of love one to another, and we make claims of love in our service, when the truth of the matter is we're self-serving. That love is not a genuine love. And so one of the things that characterizes someone who is a living sacrifice, someone who is yielded to God in these areas, is someone who does not have hypocritical love. Uh, they don't have um, love that is expressed only outwardly, but love that is shown inwardly. The question comes up, do we love the lost? The truth is, our Savior does. In fact, He loved them so much, He was willing to die in their place. And as Christians, when we say, well, I love the lost, is that love that is a hypocritical or a dissimulated love? Is this a love that only is expressed outwardly, but never affects the heart? I found this, that if we love somebody, we take an interest in them. And we give not only uh, of our, of our, uh, of our uh, uh, physical things, our resources, but we give them our time. We give them the things that are most valuable to us. We do it self-sacrificially. And uh, I want us to understand in verse number 9 that he says one of the characteristics of uh, someone in serving in these areas of gifts that have been given is that they love without dissimulation. Uh, they also, it says here in verse number 9, that we are to abhor that which is evil. And boy, we need to have a revival of this again. We have learned to nurture our sin, haven't we? Uh, we, have, uh, we have the ones that we like, that we kind of hold close to our hearts, and we, we pet them every once in a while. We say, that's the sin I have. You know, I, I'm not getting rid of it. I like this one. The Bible says that we're to abhor that which is evil. Uh, the fact that, the, that sin sent my Savior to the cross ought to give us reason enough to hate it. It ought, we ought to hate it not only in the, in the lives of others, we ought to hate it in our own lives. And that's the hardest place to hate it, isn't it? In our own lives. We're to abhor that which is evil. This is an attribute. This is a characteristic of someone who is a living sacrifice. Someone who is, is reasonably following God uh, with their lives. That they would love without hypocrisy, without the dissimulation. <coughs> that they would love or they would abhor that which is evil. That they would cleave to that which is good. And we need to have a revival among God's people of that, don't we? Uh, how often... Uh, I, was, I was listening to a message years ago by a fellow by the name of Jim Van Geldren. And uh, he was preaching in, a, in, a, serve, in a, a conference that was a conference on holiness. You don't have a whole lot of conferences dealing with the topic of holiness in the day we live. Uh, sad to say a lot of Christians don't, don't want to pursue that topic anymore. And, uh, but he, he, he made some comments about how quickly uh, we tend to find ourselves uh, following after things that are evil. For instance, he, he brought up the issue. He said uh, he had made a decision at one point in his life that whenever he saw, uh, was watching something on television, and somebody said a cuss word, that he would turn the television off. And he said, not only would I turn the television off, he said, but I've decided that if I heard the cuss word, I would never watch that show again. He said it wasn't very long before there was nothing to watch on television. And yet how often we let that slide, don't we? 
I was I was in the van taking some teenagers to go soul winning one day, and a conversation struck up in the back of the van, and I very quickly was trying to was getting ready to change the subject, but in just about three or four sentences they made a statement, and it caused me to stop the van and address them about it. But one of the the discussions was, and one of the teenagers said, uh, "Hey, have y'all watched such and such a movie?" And I, I had not seen the movie, but I had heard about it, and I knew that it was not something that was going to draw them closer to the Lord. I certainly knew that. And uh, so I asked him, I said, well, what, what do you think? The Lord would have watched that movie? And they said, oh, Brother Greg, it's a good movie. It only cussed three times in the, in the movie. I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I said, when? And we parked the van, and we talked about this for a while. I said, when did only three cuss words relate to a good movie? We've lost this idea of abhorring that which is evil. What about immorality? Boy, immorality is rampant in, in the media and things that we watch all the time. And, and Christians have become so callous to it and so accustomed to it that we allow it to go on and there's no abhorring of it. What about lying and deceit? I can't even watch a basketball game anymore without there being uh, cheating going on and, and guys that are lying through their teeth. You ever notice that? Not only are they cussing on the court, which you don't normally hear, but occasionally you'll see a mouth a word and you know what they're saying. But you ever watched them lie on the court or on the football field? You ever watched the ball go out of bounds and the guy knew he knocked it out of bounds, but the first thing he does is turn around to the ref and point the other way? No, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I didn't touch it. There needs to be an abhorring of evil things in our Christian lives again, and, and there needs to be an awakening. And can I tell you this? Before you sit there today and say, Brother Greg, you're being unreasonable. No, no. This is only reasonable of a Christian. And there needs to be a revival of abhorrence of evil once again. We, we need to understand that sin is sinful. And we understand that we, there's, a, there's a God in heaven that cannot tolerate, cannot stand, and, and it, it grieves His heart when evil is present. And here we are nurturing it along the way. And I understand that we're human, and I understand we will not live a perfect life. But can I tell you this? There ought to be an absolute abhorrence. There ought to be, a, there ought to be a, a, literally a place where we are so mortified when we sin against God, because we realize we have hurt the heart of God. And the fact of the matter is, so many Christians today will live in a way that is contrary to God's Word, and then they'll excuse it away as, well, it's the society we live in. Well, Brother Greg, you've got to understand, the day we live in, those things just don't apply. Wait a minute. Yes, they do. If God's Word says it, then it still applies. Immorality is still immorality. Lying is still lying. Cheating is still cheating. Oh, that we would learn to have another abhorrence of evil again in our hearts and our minds. There used to be a day and age where God's people would live in such a way. It, there was, you know, there was a day that even people who were not Christians would live moral lives because there was an abhorrence of evil among God's people. And as God's people have lost their abhorrence of evil, Society has followed along the way. There needs to be an abhorrence of that which is evil. We may not make it through our list today. I may as well apologize to you. This one won't be short. It will. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be brief. We'll pick up here next week if we need to. There needs to be an abhorrence of evil. There needs to be a cleaving to that which is good. 
a cleaving to that which is good. It's amazing to me uh, how many times I have watched people who are Christians, people who are saved or claim that they are saved, that when someone tries to stand for that which is right or that which is good, that they either do not support them or they are openly critical of them. And I think that's a travesty. We read, and we've been studying the life of Joseph the last couple of weeks, and it says in the first part of Joseph's life that uh, his brethren did not like him because he brought an evil report about them to his father. And some people look at that and say, well, I'm telling you what, that old Joseph, boy, he was, he was a tattletale, wasn't he? No, no, he was right. He was dealing with things, abhorring evil and, and cleaving to that which was good. And by the way, it would do us good to have a desire for the things that are right again. To have a desire for things that are good and holy. There's been a lot of discussion. I've, I've seen posts that have been given about how some uh, people feel that some of the things we're going through right now as a country is, is the judgment of God upon a, a wicked generation. And I believe that there's some valid, validity to that. But can I tell you this, that I believe not only has there been a wicked generation, but there's been a loss of those that were cleaving to that which was good. Where are the people that are coming around saying, well, that's good and that's wholesome and that's clean and that's right and that's pure. And that's the thing I'm going to embrace. That's the thing I'm going to long for. These things characterize a person that gives their life as a living sacrifice to God. And lest we think that this is something extraordinary or exceptional, Paul says this is just our reasonable service. For some reason, we have in our mind in the day and age that we live, that if these things are characterizing of our life, that we're some kind of a, an out there on a, on, on a far end of the pendulum kind of a thing. No, no. This is just what is reasonable in the Christian life. That there needs to be an abhorrence of that which is evil. There needs to be a cleaving to that which is good. Notice verse number 10. We could all use some of this. To be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. I, I, don't, I, I think that this is a wonderful order that Paul has put this in, and certainly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because while there needs to be an abhorrence of evil, and while there needs to be a cleaving to that which is good, all of it must be tempered with love. Uh, we certainly don't condone the sin that people get involved in. But we do want to love the sinner. We do want to try to encourage them and strengthen them and, and help them. And by the way, as God's people, we ought to be helping one another. If brother be overtaken in a fault, the Bible says, "Ye which are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of meekness. We're to be kindly affection one to another, the Bible says, with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. This ought to be part of our characteristic. This ought to be something that is an attribute of our life and our character. Then I want you to notice in verse number 11, he says this, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You know, the Bible says this, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. The idea being that we are not slothful in business. When it comes to God's people, 
then the world ought to look at them and say, while I may not, just, may not agree with their religion, while I may not agree with their doctrine, while I may not agree with, with perhaps the moral standard that they have, we certainly respect that they are diligent people who are not slothful in business. And by the way, it, it would do us well to, to develop a, a generation of people who know how to work again. That there be a diligence about them. Not afraid. Then there needs to be a fervency in our spirit. When it comes to this thing of serving God, that, that we, that we are fervent in it, that we are, um, let me use, let me use a term, that we are fanatical about it. That's fervency. We get fanatical about a lot of things, don't we? We go to a ball game. Yeah, I've seen grown men take their shirts off and paint their bellies a certain color, wear cheese on top of their head. You ever notice that? You ever seen that? I mean, cheese on top of their head. And they get out there and they act like a bunch of idiots. Because they are fanatical about twelve guy, or 11 guys on the field throwing a pigskin down the field. And then when it comes to the things of the Lord, there is no fervency. And this is just reasonable. This is just the norm. This is what ought to be expected out of an average Christian. That there be fervency in spirit serving the Lord. Notice verse number 12. Rejoicing in hope. These are things that ought to characterize our life. <laughs> I'm so tired of meeting Christians who have no idea how to rejoice. I mean, you don't dare ask them how they're doing <laughs> Because you know you're going to be there for the next hour listening to all the ailments. Can I tell you this? We all go through trials and burdens. And I think we ought to share those burdens. And I think we ought to, uh, the Bible teaches quite clearly we are to bear one another's burdens. But can I tell you this? There ought never be a doubt that we are rejoicing in who we are and the fact that we are saved and on our way to heaven. There needs to be a rejoicing in hope. There needs to be patience in tribulation, this is a tough one to teach on this week because of what we're going through. I don't know too many people that don't need a little bit more patience during this time. And the truth is, we've not yet even suffered, have we? We've only been inconvenienced. There needs to be a patience in tribulation. Notice it says this, continuing instant in prayer. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could become a people once again? that made prayer the forethought of everything we did rather than the afterthought, where we would come to God first and seeking for His will, that we would be instant in prayer. It was said of Charles Spurgeon by many of his close friends that when they were with him, it was difficult to tell when he was talking to them and when he was talking to God. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it could be said of you and I that we were instant in prayer, that there was a natural tendency to prayer, this is just, again, our reasonable service. These things ought to characterize someone who is a living sacrifice. The Bible says in verse number 13, distributing to the necessity of the saints. <coughs> there were certain people in Paul's ministry that were very refreshing to him along the way because they distributed to the necessity of the saints. You know, it was said of the church at Philippi that they gave even out of their own necessity. Well, what a testimony. I think it was Aquila and Priscilla that said they had, convict, uh, they had addicted themselves to the, to the ministry of the saints. 
that we would learn to distribute to the necessity of the saints and be, the Bible says this, given to hospitality. I grew up in a church that uh, enjoyed fellowship. It was not unusual after services, especially on Sunday morning, uh, to for people in our church to have three, four, five families over their house for lunch. And they'd spend the afternoon in fellowship together and hospitality. And uh, I've been in places where I've walked into and I've, I've expected something like that and found that there's very little hospitality in some places. Can I tell you, there needs to be a revival of hospitality among God's people. I think fellowship is one of the things that is so needful in our lives, but many times is so forsaken. The fact that there is a time to get together and talk about the goodness of God in our lives. There would be a hospitality. Notice in verse number 14, Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. There needs to be a forgiving spirit, doesn't there? A forgiving spirit. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend of men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits, and recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge... By the way, these preachers that go around trying to pick fights, not in Scripture. I'm all for giving a defense. I'm all for giving a, a steadfast and a firm defense of what we hold to and believe. But to go out and intentionally pick a fight, I do not find that in Scripture. Verse number 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hungry, uh, hunger, kick him while he's down. Is that what your Bible says? That's not what my Bible says. It says this, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, what? Feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Folks, these are things <coughs> that ought to characterize someone who is a living sacrifice. I think we ought to read through these regularly. These ought to be things that we keep at the forefront of our life. And ask for the Holy Spirit to transform us as we find things lacking that He would transform us from the inside, that these things would become apparent outwardly. I don't ever want us to get to the mindset or the place where we think that we can accomplish these things in our own power and in our own might. That we feel that we can put these on externally and try to fit some kind of an outward mold. That's confirmation. That is not transformation. But when we find these things lacking, it's time for us, and it's a good signal to us, that we are not on that altar. We are not a living sacrifice. For when we are a living sacrifice, these things will be evident in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. I pray that You'll bless and use it. Lord, as we've spent some time this afternoon trying to give some very practical helps, I pray that You would allow Your Word to sink into our hearts, and that we would take heed to what we've heard and learned today, Help us to be drawn closer to You, to live more like You every day, to love You more every day. 
Bless the time that we spend here together and those that are listening by way of the live stream. And Lord, may you open up this week doors of opportunity for us to serve. And we would recognize them and take advantage of the opportunities you give. Now I pray that you'll dismiss us with your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.